Uh, well, coming back together, uh, it's going to be a little bit of a, an adjustment at times, isn't it? It feels a little different to be back together. We have to get used to it again. One of the things we thought we were so slick with this new booklet, like it's going to work perfectly. We got everything in there. We can reuse it every week. We forgot the responsive psalm. So everybody's going to have to bring their Bibles and make sure they can respond with us that way. Oh, that's funny. And Nicola, I should say thank you so much for all the work you've done with that. We need it too. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you uh, for this time to gather. We thank you that as one body, uh, those who are here present, those who are at home, we can gather together to worship you in spirit and in truth. Um, and we can come before your word, which is living and active, and we long to be shaped by it. So come now, Holy Spirit, be amongst us, shape us by the power of your holy word um, as we open ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. Well, friends, I want to start, I, I couldn't resist this week, and I wanted to begin with uh, the opening uh, paragraph, essentially, of Eugene Peterson's uh, third chapter in a long obedience in the same direction. If you're not reading the book with us, again, I would encourage you to do so. It's a wonderful um, just exploration of, of the Psalms of Ascent. And chapter three, of course, is on Psalm 121, our psalm today, and he begins with these words. He says this, the moment that we say no to the world and yes to God... This is opening sentence. So he's referring back to Psalm 120, uh, 120, which we looked at last week, this turning away from the world and turning towards God as the first step of discipleship. It says, the moment that we say no to the world and yes to God, all our, all our problems are solved. All our questions are answered. All our troubles are over. Nothing can disturb the tranquility of the soul at peace with God. Nothing can interfere with the blessed assurance that all is well between me and my Savior. Nothing and no one can upset the enjoyable relationship that has been established by faith in Jesus Christ. We Christians are among the privileged company of persons who don't have accidents, don't mind my shoulder, who don't have arguments with our spouses, who aren't misunderstood by our peers, and whose children, whose children do not disobey us. So that's not true for me. I'm going to guess it's not true for any of you as well. He's saying it all tongue in cheek. The point is that he's saying, even after we decide to follow Jesus, we still endure hardships in this world. It all doesn't disappear right away. Not everything is perfect immediately. When I was a youth pastor years ago, um, testimonies were very important. Every youth event sort of had to have a testimony uh, for it to be a true youth event. And of course, sharing our testimonies are an important part of our faith. It's wonderful to encourage one another and hear one another's stories. Um, but inevitably, if you've been around long enough, inevitably you're going to hear the basic outline of a testimony at one of these events as basically everything was bad, I met Jesus, and then everything was okay after that. That's sort of the, 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 the crux of it. Um, if that's true for any of those people, if that lasted for any of those people throughout their lifetime, then God bless them. I think that's wonderful. I hope that's the case. But if my experience is any indication... And if the experience of any other mature Christians that I know, that hasn't been our experience. Not everything has been peachy keen from the moment that we met Jesus. We all know that following Jesus does not prevent us from experiencing pain or heartache or painful medical diagnoses and every other challenge that faces humankind in a broken and fallen world. Followers of Jesus are not exempt from those things. This is part of having an outdoor service. 
And just to say, I think that the earlier we, we learn that lesson in our walk of faith, the better it is for us. And so there's something beautiful about the connection that we see between Psalm 120 and Psalm 121, because if Psalm 120 is all about choosing, making that initial decision to choose to follow Jesus on the journey of faith, turning away from the world and turning towards Christ, just that initial decision, then the first step, which is Psalm 121, tells us that we will still meet troubles in this world. That's the first thing that it tells us. That's the first lesson that we learn on this pilgrimage of faith. And I just think how much pain and confusion could have been avoided for so many people if they had learned that lesson early on. Because sometimes I think we can feel like pain and troubles are a sign that God is absent or doesn't care or doesn't love us. That is furthest from the truth. Psalm 121 begins by saying, I lift my eyes to the Lord from where does my help come? Implicit in that statement is an actual need for help. There's a cry for rescue, there's a cry for salvation, there's a cry for protection. Something has happened in the life of the psalmist, and he needs help. From where does my help come? So that's the first thing we learn on this journey of faith. We still require help, even as we follow Jesus, after we have turned to follow him. And one of the reasons why it's so important to sort of lay that out right from the very beginning of our faith journey is because if we aren't prepared to face those challenges that do come, they catch us totally off guard, don't they? And we just don't know what to do with them. We don't have sort of a paradigm to understand those things. We think everything's just going to be fine. And the minute we uh, come up against some sort of hardship, it totally throws us off. Either we think that we've done something wrong and that God is displeased with us or he's not interested in us or he doesn't care or he's angry with us which leads, of course, to this sort of a a religion of superstition where we're constantly walking on eggshells and worried that God is going to smite us. Or we can look to idols and other quick fixes to try to to solve those problems that we find ourselves facing. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? He's not just saying, I lift my eyes to the beauty of God's creation. He's actually saying, I lift my eyes to idols, or I'm tempted to lift my eyes to idols. I lift my eyes to the shrines, the altars, and the asherah poles that are all over these hills around Israel. I'm tempted to look to these other things for help, is essentially what the psalmist is saying. Peterson said it like this, Palestine was overrun with popular pagan worship. Much of this religion was practiced on hilltops. Shrines were set up. Groves of trees were planted, which is essentially, essentially the asherah poles. People were lured to the shrines to engage in acts of worship that would enhance the fertility of the land, would make you feel good, would protect you from evil. There were nostrums, protection, spells, enchantments against the perils of the road. You fear the sun's heat, go to the sun priest and pay for protection against the sun god. Are you fearful of the malign influence of the moonlight? Go to the moon priestess and buy an amulet. Are you haunted by the demons that can cause a pebble under your foot to trip you up? Go to the shrine and learn the magic formula to ward off mischief. Whence shall my help come? From Baal, from Asherah, from the sun priest, from the moon priestess. That's essentially the question that's at the heart of verse 1. I'm in trouble, I need help, and I am being tempted to turn to false idols and false gods for a quick solution to my problem. 
Now, we don't face the exact same temptations. I don't think any of us are tempted to turn to the hills and look to, for Asherah poles and idols and things like that and Baal. Um, but we are no less tempted to look for quick and easy solutions when we do face problems. Is that not true? You're having problems with your marriage? Do these five steps. These are the things that you must do. You're fearful about the future? Practice these mindfulness exercises. You're worried about your finances? Invest in these stocks or buy this cryptocurrency, whatever's popular today. The shrines and the altars on the hilltops around us will look very different from they did that, than they did from our ancient brothers and sisters, but they are no less prevalent. And they're no less dangerous. The temptation to turn towards idols, which is simply putting our faith and trust in something other than God, is still just as prevalent for us today as it was for our ancient brothers and sisters before us. The temptation is real and it's still there. And ultimately, when we read Psalm 121, the, the ultimate invitation is to both recognize these temptations, to recognize our need for help, but then, of course, to refuse to turn towards these idols, these empty idols and these quick fixes, and to turn towards the living God. I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? Does it come from idols? Does it come from quick fixes? Does it come from worldly solutions or self-help books? No. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, is what verse 2 says. God, the creator of all, is the only true source of help in times of trouble. These other places might offer wisdom and insight for the day. We're not the kind of people who say, well, we want nothing to do with the world whatsoever, as if we can't glean any insight or discernment from them or wisdom from them. There are things that we can learn from the world around us, but they are not the ultimate source of our help. That's the distinction. It's God himself who must be that ultimate source of help that we turn to in times of trouble. God is the ultimate one that we can count on. God is the one who can ultimately protect us, who can ultimately give us the grace that we need to face the challenges that we will endure in this lifetime. My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. And then the rest of the psalm is beautiful. It goes on to sort of list a number of possible troubles that a pilgrim might face on a journey and need help with. So going in the wrong direction, our feet may be moved, verse 3 says. God not caring about us or not listening to our prayers, God sleeping or slumbering, verse 4 says. Being overcome by physical ailments, portrayed by uh, sunstroke in verse 5. Being overcome by fear and anxiety and worry, that's what um, being moonstruck is all about in verse 6 or simply being overcome by evil, verse 7 says. It lists all these potential dangers that a pilgrim might face, but what it is is really the fears of the psalmist, things that he knows he might have to endure, that we will have to endure as life goes on. And to each one of these, he proclaims that it's not the hills or the idols of this world that will keep us safe, but God himself, God will protect me. God will shield me. God will provide for me. God will be attentive to me. He will shelter me. Over and over, fear after fear that is listed in the psalm, there is a proclamation that it's God who will ultimately care for us. 
Now, does that mean that we will never experience these things? That a pilgrim will never experience all the things that are listed, that his foot will never stumble, that his prayers will not feel unanswered at times, that the sun will not strike him by day or the moon by night, that he'll never experience any kind of physical ailment or, or emotional anxiety, that he won't endure some kind of evil. Of course, we already know the answer is no. He will have to endure all those things. The psalm is not saying that you will never have to endure those things. What is Psalm 121 promising? Psalm 121 is promising that those things will not overwhelm us. We will face those things, but they will not destroy us. We will be able to endure as we trust in the Lord who provides for us and cares for us. That's the ultimate promise of Psalm 121. And we hear it repeated in one particular word, if you notice this. Over and over again, Psalm 121 keeps saying God will keep us. God will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth for evermore. Over and over and over again, the Lord will keep you. To me, that is such a helpful word because it signifies ownership. I'm, having, I'm hearing a skateboard. I'm having flashbacks. My shoulder's a little sore just from hearing. When I own something, it means that I accept full responsibility of that thing. It doesn't mean that nothing will ever happen to that thing. It might get dirty, it might get damaged, I might misplace it, it might fall, but it won't be lost. So long as it's mine, I will keep it. That's the promise that this psalm makes, that God will keep us. And it reminds us, if we know it, the words that are spoken over each one of us at our baptism. The Lord has marked you as his own forever. That's both ownership and eternity. You have been marked as Christ's own. You are his. He will keep you. And he will keep you for all of eternity. You are marked as Christ's own forever. That's the promise that we hear in Psalm 121. And I hear those words echoed in Romans 8, which I kept thinking about this week. You know this passage well, but I think it's worth hearing it nonetheless. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Paul is not listing off things that won't ever happen to him. They're, these are things that will happen to followers of Christ. But he says, will any of these separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor, thing, nor, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. Just think of Psalm 121, verse 2. Lord is the Lord who made heaven and earth, all of creation. He's in control of all these things. Nothing in all of creation can ever separate us from the love of God revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is clear, we'll deal with some of these things. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the promise of Psalm 121. We will stumble. There will be times when it feels like our prayers are not being heard. 
We will be struck by the sun. We will deal with physical ailments. We will deal with anxiety. We will experience evil in this world. But none of those things can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and the joy and the peace and the hope that we have, not only in the future, but even right now. Because what we need to remember, the God who makes this promise is not a far-off deity, but it is the God who meets us in the midst of our struggles, who has endured all these things with us. It's the incarnational God, Jesus, who took on suffering himself, and he meets us in the midst of all these challenges. That's where our hope and confidence lies. Jesus said, he promised, in the world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. That's where our ultimate hope and confidence lies. So here's what I was thinking as a way to sort of engage this more deeply uh, for us this week to think about it. Um, I thought maybe a helpful activity would to actually paraphrase our own version of Psalm 121 for each of us to do that this week. But to be specific, to think about your particular fears. So it lists a number of fears that the psalmist has. You might not fear sun being struck by the sun by day or moon being moonstruck, but you do have particular fears. So insert those particular fears that you're experiencing right now, the challenges that you maybe are experiencing right now, put those in place in the psalm. Don't just say, I look to the hills. From where does my help come? Does it come from the hills? Specify what those temptations are for you. What are the hills in your life? What are the, the quick solutions that you're tempted to turn towards other than God? And then also list all the characteristics of God, those action words that you want him to, to do in your life. So maybe it's not just keep, but you want him to fight on your behalf. That's what you need from God right now. Insert that in your paraphrased version of Psalm 121. I need the Lord to fight for me right now. Psalm, verse seven can be, the Lord will fight all evil for me and protect my life. Change some of those verbs. Make them specific to what it is that you need from the Lord right now. Let that be both a prayer and a proclamation of who God is. That's my encouragement to you this week. Personalize this Psalm, insert your fears, insert your temptations, and then as both an act of proclamation of who God is and a prayer for what you need him to do in your life, specify the ways you're asking him to act. In this world, we will have trouble, Jesus said, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.